What's up, guys? Welcome back to Blockhash Exploring the Blockchain, episode 284. Uh, happy Monday, guys. Today, I have a fantastic uh, guest, uh, Chingo Unchained. She's the host of the Interchain.fm podcast slash show. Um, also here, going to tell a bit more about her story and her background, how she kind of got into the space. Um, also, would love to learn about how you got the name, too. Um, Jingo, welcome to the show. Well, thanks for having me. Absolutely. How, how did you get the name? So I was always into pseudonymous nicknames, even before crypto. And it was, I mean, I watched Django Unchained, obviously, and felt like that was an allegory to my life, not only my life, but to all millennials growing up in the American dream post-financial crisis, where uh, it was very difficult to find a job at that time. Um, so, you know, you're encumbered with uh, student loan debt and you're trying to find a job in that atmosphere. And it was just very difficult. So I found myself being a cog in a machine. I used to work at the Jet Propulsion Laboratory. It was the NASA lab for, for, um, for NASA. And, mm -hmm. it, you know, it sounds glamorous, but uh, it, yeah, I was just a cog in that machine. And so it felt like I was part of the matrix and unplugging from that is where I got the uh, the name from. Because if you look at Django, he, you know, he was a black man growing up in a slave society and he freed himself, you know, with a bit of luck and his own tenacity. So for me, it's like, okay, I, I got into crypto before there were a lot of people, but especially before there were women and Asian women for that matter. So it's just kind of, you know, that being unchained and, uh, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, like blowing out of whatever people may perceive of you as whatever your demographic is, is that's the allegory to my life. No, I like it. I like the nickname too. It's very clever. Um, it'd be cool. Like as a podcast name too, like the Chingo Unchained podcast or show would be kind of a cool title. Yeah. 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 It would be. Um, yeah. Unfortunately I like, uh, the interchain name. I mean, the interchain mm -hmm. name is just you know it, the the branding is really aligned with with what we're talking about here. So yeah, it's a bit more synonymous with Cosmos, right? To say right. interchain. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Got it. Got it. Um, before we dive into some of the, the other details about kind of what you're doing, tell us a bit more about yourself. I know you worked uh, in NASA previously. Um, I don't think most people have that kind of backstory and then find themselves in the crypto world. Um, what what was the the change that happened that made you go from there to where you are now here? And um, what's what's your story? Yeah, so I was at NASA in I think like 2012, 2013, and it I just wasn't really happy there. You know, space is cool, but it's not really my passion. And in 2014, I met up with my friend. He's a Bitcoin miner at the time, and. He told me about Bitcoin, told me how UTXOs worked and how proof of work worked and how that lent itself to this concept called decentralization. And I thought, OK, this is actually the future. So, I mean, to put it, make a long story short, I quit my job at my nine to five NASA job and then just went, uh, you know, balls to the walls for for going into Bitcoin. Yeah. And, and there, there, there wasn't there, there were no jobs back mm -hmm. then you know it, it was right. more like you're part of the community and you know figure it out for yourself if you want to contribute what year was this 
Um, January 2015, I quit my job. And okay. then and then I I went to Bali and then um, I met up with a small, small community of Bitcoiners there. There were like, you know, 10 other people. And then we all just hosted meetings regularly. Yeah, that's right before that big uh, cyclical run up in the market in 2017. So you you kind of dove in a, a really good time, I'd say, uh, to kind of start exploring it. Were you diving in like as an investor? Were you starting to like develop stuff? Um, what would you say was your entry point? Uh, well, it, it was mostly learning about the protocol and how it worked. So, you know, it, because before I could create any value in the space, I had to actually understand what it is um, that it's doing and be able to explain it. So, uh, yeah, I was just I was just doing like a knowledge dive and and opened the fire hose and and started soaking it all in, um, starting with the I, I believe it was the Princeton Bitcoin book. And it that is the book that. Um, went into the history of Bitcoin, starting with David Chom and Adam's back, Adam backs hash cash, um, all the way down, to, all the way to um, Dwork's, you know, proof of work protocol. So, so it goes into the backstory, and then it's it's actually a very technical book that goes into every aspect of Bitcoin, which is which is a you know two hundred page book in and of itself. So, um, yeah, I did that, and then was living in Bali for a few a few months, like 10 months. And then uh, we hosted a Bitcoin conference, played some videos about Bitcoin, invited Andreas Antonopoulos over. He came and yeah, that was kind of the little community we had going on there. Awesome. That's nice. It, was there much of a community in Bali at the time or was it very small? It was very small and um, but but it was actually well marketed to the world, mm -hmm. you know, like Okay. Imagine yourself in 2015 and there's just like people on the island of Bali saying, hey, look, we're creating a Bitcoin island, you know, Bitcoin, Bitcoins in Bali, Bit Islands project. Mm -hmm. um, you know, Coindesk wrote about it. It, it was just like circulated across the, the news cycles then. And uh, a lot of people came through like Virgil Griffith came through. Um, bless his soul. <laughs> and, mm -hmm. uh, you know, early Ethereum core developers like Victor Tron came through. That's how I met a lot of them. Yeah. So it was, it was a great community. We were trying to get the vendors, like as in the locals there, to accept Bitcoin as payment. Um, mm -hmm. It was a very hard sell at the time. But oh, yeah. to the ones that did integrate it, they did really well. Nice. Who were you integrating? Was it like small retail shops or yeah. brick and mortar, like coffee shops, or what, what was the, the specific demographic for that? Brick and mortar. So okay. the, the project was called Bit Islands. And the idea was that anybody, any visitor could come in and not have to exchange their US dollars or something into uh, Indonesian rupiah and pay, you know, the, the exchange rate. And just have Bitcoins and land there, be able to get a villa or be able to buy coffee, be able to, you know, pay for stuff with it. So um, we were trying to get as many brick and mortar shops to accept it as possible. And, you know, a few did. Yeah. Not that many, but mm -hmm. several did. Yeah. Any use case, especially at that point in time is is awesome. Um, I remember 2015 and it's nothing like it is now where it's so much easier to convince someone to, you know, onboard the technology or try out a use case or integrate something into their business. Mm -hmm. Back then it was like, 
it felt like impossible. It was like one in a hundred might try it. Um, and it's really cool. You got Andreas Antonopoulos to come too. He was so, so popular around that period of time. I mean, he's still popular now, but it was so much more focused around Bitcoin around 2015. How'd you guys get him to come out? Was it just marketed to him very well or was he very accessible and open to it at the He's time? He's just a very accessible person. Okay. He, I mean, Andreas was the only influencer back then, right? If you could call mm -hmm. him that. I would call him an evangelist, maybe, you know. Um, yeah, he, he was the only evangelist back then and I just emailed him and he was like, okay, just, uh, yeah, fly me over there and, and I'll come and speak. That's so, cool. It was it was really cool, yeah. No, that's a fantastic experience. Have you guys done any other conferences since? I imagine that went really well. So, did you guys plan anything afterwards? No, not not after I left. Um, okay. I mean, I had to go back to the states after, at some point. Um, I I got audited. Not going to talk about that, oh, okay. but uh, yeah, I had to go back to the states and then landed in San Francisco uh, in mm -hmm. 2017, and that was when I met the U S side of the market. And that's another story in and of itself. That was that, I mean, you know, Blockstream was in its heydays. Um, First.io was in San Francisco as well. Um, Coindesk construct was, was hosted at that time. And then that's mm -hmm. when I met like, you know, Joe Lubin, Emin Gunsir, uh, yeah. Uh, what, um, uh, the lightning guy, roast beef. <laughs> Lalu. <laughs> so yeah, the, it, yeah. It, it was just like, everyone was there and, uh, that that was when I met all my all my friends in crypto. Nice. And when you say the U.S. side of it, is it just like the people um, and what they're working on in the space and how it's different, or um, were there like specific things going on at that time or specific projects coming up that were really interesting to to watch or be a part of or that you noticed? So at that time. San Francisco was the epicenter of Bitcoin development, of Bitcoin meetups, everything. It was between San Francisco on the U.S. side and China, which is on the mining side. So me being in Bali, proselytizing Bitcoin was very much on the peripheries of the industry. But going into San Francisco at the time, I was actually part of the industry at that point. Yeah, I do well, remember. There was something special about San Francisco because that was like everybody was there. Mm -hmm. Everybody who was building and doing stuff in crypto, which was Bitcoin, was there. Um, and then, you know, that was also very early days, Ethereum too. We had ETH meetups. Um, you know, ZeroX had just launched, all the new ICO projects had just launched, and it, it all started in San Francisco. Yeah, I do remember a lot of it revolving around the San Francisco or the Bay Area. Um, and I mean, now it's very diverse. I mean, they're spread out across the U S yeah. especially in Texas, especially in Miami. Um, but yeah, it definitely was like the epicenter for where that innovation was happening. Um, so your entry point, it's kind of like Bitcoin and Ethereum, you know, kind of the, the big, the big names in the space, but you're so involved with Cosmoverse and that ecosystem. It seems like now was, how did you transition to wanting to be a part of the cosmos ecosystem versus, you know, everything else in the space. It's, it's so diverse now. There's so many projects, so many blockchains. Uh, was there something that was appealing about cosmos? Um, or was there a moment that made you say you want to be part of this specific ecosystem? So January, 2017 was when I heard the epicenter podcast and listened to Jay Kwan talk mm -hmm. about the cosmos vision 
And that immediately made sense to me because at, he was the only person talking about how the fat protocol thesis was not going to scale. He was the only person that said Ethereum is not going to scale and this is how you're going to do um, app chain scaling. And it, it, I kind of got it immediately. And, you know, six months, six months later, um, the third person at Cosmos, his name is Jim Yeh. He, he's a he's an investor at Cosmos. And then he, he worked on the project as well as like almost as a co-founder, like a founder level person. I uh, reached out to me because he saw my articles. I had been putting out educational content about protocols, like how Lightning Network worked. Um, so it, and how like, you know, Bitcoin full nodes worked and like what was the sort of landscape at that time. And he reached out and wanted me to join. And I said, all right. So I joined as the first um, non-engineering person on the team. And, you know, at the, it, I, I, there were only people, I mean, people on the team who were engineers were only building the product. And, uh, you know, we had to figure out a way to communicate what people internally were doing to um, the ICO participants. So that was my job. That was like my entry point into there. Uh, and then I started writing technical blog posts, explaining BFT, explaining how Tendermint proof of stake works, how it compares to other proof of stake protocols like Casper or how EOS did it. Uh, and, and then eventually grew into this role of um, building the community um, creating a narrative about how Cosmos fit into the wider ecosystem and then, yeah, basically developing the ecosystem from there. Oh, so, that's awesome. Yeah. So, so it was more like mm -hmm. creating the, uh, the narrative from the start. Gotcha. Or were you doing your blog posts? Did you have like a website or were you doing it somewhere specifically? It was on the Cosmos blog. Okay. So I was writing as a ghostwriter almost as cosmos to communicate to the um our community at the time you know the, awesome. the yeah the people who are interested to know like what's the team doing you know like we just we just bonded the ico i haven't heard from them for six months like what are they actually doing are they mm -hmm. are they going to ship when are they going to ship stuff like that got it um i know you were at cosmoverse too in medellin uh just like i was unfortunately we didn't bump into each other um, but what was your takeaway? Did you enjoy the event and having the whole community there? And, and the, the vibe, in my opinion, was very good. Um, it was very entertaining a lot of the time. A lot of interesting characters, for sure. Um, what did you think? So I'm perpetually amazed at what kind of a flywheel we've been able to build over the years. Because in the beginning building a community around this thing was like having a few pieces of Tinder and then trying to create a spark of fire. And mm. now it's just, it's just like a rainforest, you know, and it kind of um, like is just running on its own with other uh, people building alongside you with, without you having to do a, a whole lot. Right. Like I had nothing to do with this conference, but fast, I mean, um, but rewind three years ago, you know, we had to build the conference, you know, we had to organize it, we had to invite people and, and, and tell people um, why they should care about Cosmos. And now it's just everyone else doing that. 
so mm-hmm. so that's really cool. And seeing how this Cosmoverse was twice the size of last Cosmoverse, um, you could really see the trajectory where the space is going. Uh, I could see us becoming a 4,000 person conference in two years time. Easy, you know? Yeah. I, I, yeah. It's just like, you know, NFT NYC, we went to sponsor it um, in 2020 and there were only a few hundred people. And a year before that, it was like a smaller group of like, you know, 50 NFT enthusiasts. And last year it was, oh my gosh, it, it was so huge. You know, there, there are thousands of people. So I could see the same thing happening for Cosmos and Cosmos yeah. and whatever other event people are going to throw. Yeah, I have no doubt that the next Cosmoverse event will be at least twice the size of this one. Um, I, I just the trajectory is is uphill, and the community is very strong and tight knit. I was talking to the uh, one of the co-founders for Cosmoverse, uh, Basil. We were doing an episode, and he was he was telling me, uh, and I, I think I kind of agree with him. There's this like interesting line you kind of walk when you're doing a conference. And NFC NYC had this problem. Uh, earlier this year where um, not only do you want to make sure enough people show up so that it's, you know, worthwhile to everyone that's paying, but you don't want too many people um, or else it becomes overly saturated and it's hard to interact and network with anybody. Um, And I had a bunch of friends that went to NFT NYC. I feel like everyone I knew went and it was just like too much. Yeah. Way too much. Um, Not that it wasn't cool, but it's like not functionable, if that makes sense. Um, Mm -hmm. So comparing some of those and some of the ones I've been to, to uh, Cosmoverse uh, this year, it felt like the right number for the right size and the right size of the venue. I think they did a really good job with that. Um, so if they double the numbers and they get more people to show up next year and they get more excitement for it, I, I do hope they get a bigger venue. Um, Cause that's, that's the only maybe downside to it growing is maybe it's, it doesn't have the same small community vibe anymore. Um, but they did excellent this year, I think. Yeah, we're in a really sweet spot right now with um, the Cosmos ecosystem because, you know, it's still small enough where almost everybody knows each other or or is at least mm-hmm. two degrees of separation away. Um, but it's, it's, it's still big enough where we're building rapidly and creating really cool shit. So, I you know, in two years, we're going to get to ethereum defcon 4 size i would say Mm -hmm. and that is sizable you know there were there were thousands of attendees there and it's just yeah when it's when it's that size it really um the culture gets diluted you know we it's it's a lot more mainstream um i don't know if you followed what happened at defcon but there was just so much tea (laughs) that you know so so much tea so much drama that never was there before. And um, that's just a testament to Ethereum going mainstream. So, you know, yeah. Cosmos is definitely going to get there. But, um, you know, until we do, it's this is a very nice spot to be in right now. Because, yeah, yeah. I, I would just cherish it where it's at right now because eventually it will get bigger and bigger and then it'll attract its own drama and its own um, talking points just like Ethereum does. Uh, so I think there's something precious in enjoying the small community vibe and how much everyone supports each other and is there for each other. Uh, Ethereum used to be like that uh, not that long ago. And then now it's like a dog-eat-dog world. 
<laughs> um, and it's like heavily dominated by NFTs and and uh, L2s and I don't know. But uh, yeah, it's it's crazy. Um, so what else are you doing within the Cosmos ecosystem? I know you have a show, the interchain.fm. Is that something that's brand new or you've been working on it for a while? I've been working on it since the end of 2019. So um, the problem we had discussed when we were at Tendermint, mm-hmm. I was at Tendermint and me and my team were discussing um, this problem of there not being any you know, media presence or, or, or anything from the actual core team. And so Interchain FM started from that. And I was co-hosting it with the um, my partner, who is the then, you know, core IBC developer, Chris Goes. And yeah, it, it eventually spun off into its own thing. So, you know, you don't see all of my shows on Chango and Chain YouTube. Um, half of it is actually on the Cosmos YouTube channel. So, like, if you go dig back way in history, you'll see all all our past episodes. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, but this this came as uh, to address a need that was missing in the space. But now, obviously, there are so many other YouTubers coming to talk about Cosmos that um, you know that that need is already served, and this is more of. I guess, a public good to the community. You know, I, I get to learn about protocols at a deeper level um, and I get to share it simultaneously with other people who also want the information as well. You know, I, you know, I don't want to be the insider who hoards all this, you know, good information if, you know, if, if the alternative is to be able to share it. That's, that's just the right. goal. Yeah. Yeah, but I'm I'm in the same boat. I feel you, um, especially when you do a podcast. You learn so much from the people that come on because uh, you're talking to the people that have their finger like on the pulse of a community or an ecosystem, and you're just kind of baffled sometimes how much you learn. You're like, I didn't know that. I didn't know you could do these things. I didn't know that was possible. Um, so I I personally love it. I'm sure you do too. And it's it's fun to share that with other people and feel like you're kind of giving a little bit. Um, so you know, podcasting and, and doing any kind of show is, you know, really, really nice, really fulfilling, I'd say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. And do you do it just yourself or do you have a co-host? I do it myself now. Okay. Yeah. Chris goes used to be my co-host, but he got busy building his own project called, uh, uh Anoma. Mm-hmm. So yeah, he's building threshold decryption and, you know, just ways to build in privacy into a protocol and, yeah, he's too busy because he's a co-founder. So, uh, yeah, it's just me now. Awesome. Gene, uh, Gene occasionally comes to ho- co-host, but um, yeah, for the most of it, I'm I'm producing everything. Got it. So, what's what's next for you? Um, are you mostly going to be focusing on interchain for now? Um, are you going to some more events or conferences through the end of the year? Are you just hanging out, knowing the holidays are coming up? What's what's your plans? Uh, yeah, the, I, I don't have too many more plans to do events, but the plan is uh, on the business side to scale up the validator. I run a validator called Interchain FM Stake, uh, and potentially start a fund with a couple other, um, Cosmos contributors as well. Um, but yeah, I, I'm continuing to be an advisor for osmosis and we're just building some cool shit. Um, you know, we're, 
I don't know if I should share this right now, but yeah, we're, we're doing some, some cool things there. Um, I built a project called reverse osmosis with a team there. And uh, you know, that may be productionized and mm -hmm. um, reverse osmosis is this kind of cool airdropper tool with some nuanced mechanisms that's going to prevent Sybil wallets from um, getting too much money from an airdrop and allow projects to automate their airdrops into like one single UI so that they don't all have to build bespoke solutions. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, that's, that, that's coming. And there's, yeah, I, I'm building another cool thing physical NFT thing for my, my delegators. So awesome. I, that's all I can say. <laughs> cool. Um, where, where can people find you if they want to follow you and kind of keep up with all the things you're doing? I'm on Twitter and YouTube mostly. Yeah. Um, Twitter, I'm at C-H-J-A-N-G-O. And on YouTube, it's just Django and Chain, assuming people can spell that correctly. Cool. If people want to follow the interchain.fm, is that just on YouTube or is it syndicated on other audio platforms? It's both. Yeah. Okay. So the sequence that I go through is the podcasts go on YouTube first, then the audio gets ripped and post-produced, and then it gets distributed to podcasting stations later. So if you go to the URL interchain.fm, that's where the podcast is. The, the audio format. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Guys, make sure to check out Chango um, on social media, online. Make sure to check out the Interchain um, and, and check out Cosmos and the whole ecosystem as well. If you get a chance, it's fantastic. Um, I love everyone in that uh, side of the space. Uh, make sure to like and subscribe to the video if you haven't already. And Chango, thank you for taking the time to come on today. Talk a little bit about yourself and your story and what you're doing in the space. I uh, love meeting new people, uh, interesting people and um, just kind of learning from others as well. So thank you for taking the time to come on and share. Yeah. Thank you for inviting me, Brendan. Anytime. All right. Talk to you soon. Stay safe. See you next time.